Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we check in with Kevin Belby, the GM of Bayheim's Army. After talking with Kevin, we'll hear from Jesse Leeds of TBT, who's going to tell us all about some of the teams that he's hearing are going to form for the West Region in 2016. Remember that you can subscribe to TBT's podcast on iTunes, and if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating. It'll help spread the word. Thanks. Kevin Belby. Dan Friel. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Where are you right now? I'm in Syracuse, New York. Lovely Syracuse. Uh, hasn't started snowing yet, um, which is great, but yeah, I'm sure it will soon. October. Yeah, but it probably will by the end of the month. Now, you're back at law school, right? I am. I'm um, in my last year of law school, and I'm getting my master's in the communication school here in Newhouse as well. And I'll be all done in May. How many years is that? Uh, law school is three years. And then the master's degree, they have some good programs here at Syracuse where you can get your uh, your dual degree in the same amount of time, same amount of money and everything. So figured why not? Two for, two for one. Yeah, two for one. And you're actually at Les Miles' favorite law school, apparently. I am. Yeah, apparently. Uh, Syracuse played LSU. Uh, in football about a week ago at the Dome. And uh, yeah, for some reason, Les Miles gave the law school a shout out, which was awesome. Was that classically random Les Miles or what? For those that don't know, Les Miles yeah. was LSU's football coach. And he was asked about what to expect in the LSU-Syracuse game. And he says, Syracuse is a great school, got a great law school up there, which just seemed totally random. Yeah, totally random, but uh, really awesome. And it was awesome, also awesome that uh, Syracuse football was able to keep the game kind of close. They kept it a 10-point game against LSU, so uh, it was fun. There was a lot of people in the Dome. Uh, the university was smart to make it family weekend here to get as many butts in the seats as possible, and it was a lot of fun. What is so. that like playing football and basketball in the same arena like that? I think it's I think it's really cool. Um it's it's one home base for the fans, so I think the fans become double dedicated to one arena. And for basketball, it just makes the experience so unique. I mean, this was my experience when I was an undergrad. I was a manager for the basketball team here at Syracuse. And, um, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. And even when the Nets were good, which was not very long, um, they wouldn't sell out. And even if they did, they put 18, 19,000 people up in East Rutherford here at the carrier dome, because you're playing basketball and was really a football arena. You can put 35,000 people, almost double, you know, any professional basketball arena, uh, 35,000 people watching a basketball game. And it's crazy. How, uh, how does that happen that they'll get the 35,000? Um, Maybe like once or twice a year when we play either Georgetown or now Duke, something like that. But they'll hit 30,000 maybe four times a year. This year we play Wisconsin in a Big Ten ACC Challenge here in Syracuse. I'm sure sure that they'll hit 30,000 for that. Um, but, it, you know, on the low end, they'll get... You know, twenty four thousand for a game, which I said, which like I said earlier, is still more than most NBA or college arenas, which uh, just makes it a really, really cool and unique environment. Uh, there's not a lot. Um, you know, the, the closest professional team, I guess, is the Bills up in Buffalo and the Sabers, and then you know you have your teams down in Manhattan. Um, so right here in Syracuse, the whole kind of central New York community comes around and rallies behind these teams, which makes it really cool. The Syracuse teams are really the pro teams around here. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, How much of that fandom do you think is a, is a result of Syracuse's success on the basketball court and on the football field historically? And how much of it do you think is the fact that there's not a lot of competition up there? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I think that 
the people who go to the dome, if, if you walk around and talk to them at the carrier dome, they're, you know, they're, they're classic people who have season tickets for 40 years. You know, everyone here grows up a Syracuse fan. I, you know, it's, it's a rarity to, to not see even little babies dressed in orange around here. I mean, it's everybody's favorite color. That's kind of when I was thinking about going to law school, I was like, well, I don't know if I could fit in anywhere else besides Syracuse. My whole wardrobe is orange. I you know, say, you, this is now your seventh right year. This is your yeah. seventh year on campus up there. So clearly, yes. you know, the ins and outs of every place in Syracuse, New York by this point, I'd assume, huh? Yeah, all you know, all the good place to eat and everything like that. That made my transition to law school a little easier. So now you mentioned that you were the manager of the Syracuse basketball team, and that's kind of essentially how it was that you decided to come up with this team, right? It was, yeah. I had an amazing experience being a part of the the basketball team when I was an undergrad. I was a manager while I was a student from 2009 to 2013. Um, it was really. Every day, you know, I cherished that I was able to do that, but it was especially um, awesome. My senior year, we went to the Final Four um, in 2013 in Atlanta. Um, so I really went out on a high note and wanted to kind of continue somehow being involved. Um, like I've kind of alluded to, I stayed in Syracuse for law school and uh, I didn't have time to be a manager, kind of doing the day-to-day stuff all the time, but still wanted to somehow tie my interests of basketball to what I'm doing now with the law school. And, um, you know, the basketball tournament came about and came across my radar, and I just thought it would be the perfect opportunity for me, but then also for, you know, the players and for the community to kind of uh, be involved in this. What was the process like in terms of trying to organize a team to start with? What was your first step? My first step was, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to say this. I had saw, uh, the championship game and saw Notre Dame playing, uh, last, not this year, but last year in the, the first basketball tournament and on ESPNU. And I said, you know, that this is awesome. And, you know, if Notre Dame can do it, I'm, we can do it over here at Syracuse. So the first person I talked to was Hakeem Warwick, who had played in the basketball tournament, but kind of on a mercenary team with Marshall Henderson, a couple other guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mercenary is great. It's a good use of that <laughs> term, but yeah, I get, you, I get what you're saying. It wasn't yeah. an alumni team that he played. Yeah, for. exactly. Just kind of, um, a random collection of, of good former college players and professional players. And, um, you know, so I, he was the first person I talked to because I knew that he had experience with the tournament. Um, you know, he enjoyed playing in the tournament. Um, so I just had gotten in touch with him and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in, in putting a Syracuse team together? Like I said, first of all, because he knew about it. Second of all, because he's a Keem Warwick and one of the best players to come out of Syracuse. So I knew that if he wanted to play, it would kind of, you know, help me build, uh, the, fill the roster out. Did you know because him before contacting him? I really had met him like maybe two or three times. Um, he had, you know, been up to one of the summer camps, um, to the summer kid, kids camps one summer. Um, my senior year was in 2013. They did a 10 year anniversary of, um, uh, the national championship, uh, year in 2003 with Akeem Warwick, Mello and Jerry McNamara and those guys. So really just kind of met him in passing a couple of times. We weren't necessarily friends or anything like that, but, um, I had re- just reached out to him. You know, the, the great thing about Syracuse basketball, and you know, I don't know a lot of sports teams uh, say this, whether it's high school, college or, you know, pro, but Syracuse basketball really is a, a tight knit community, a tight knit family. Um, and I think that's why. Eventually, when we finally put our team together, you saw guys who played, you know, Lawrence Moton all the way from 1990, all the way to guys who like basically just graduated. Um, so once I had Hakeem Warwick, it was kind of 
pretty. Hey, Kevin, we're back. We actually had a little bit of a Skype error there. So my apologies. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but where did you were talking a little bit about how you organize the team? Yeah. So I don't know where I cut off, but you know, Hakeem Wark was the first person we got to, to be a part. Well, first person I got to be a part of the team. He did it last year, uh, in the tournament and was really excited about putting a Syracuse team together. And I know a lot of high school teams, college teams, pro teams say this. It can be cliche, but Syracuse basketball really is a family. And you know, um, it's a tight knit community. It's almost like a, a little fraternity. And, um, those guys wanted to be a part of it with each other again. Um, I can't tell you how excited these guys were to put on orange and to be on the court together. So once Hakeem got involved, you know, the ball really was rolling from there. So who was next after, after Hakeem? Yeah, after Hakeem, um, Eric Devendorf last year, uh, did not play professionally. He was, a, he was going to last August about to sign a deal and he kind of hurt his back. So he spent the year rehabbing here in Syracuse and, um, actually finished his degree because he left after his junior year. Mm -hmm. So he was studying and working out all year. So I caught up with him in August um, right after I had talked to Hakeem and just mentioned it to him. He's another person who I kind of knew a little bit, but wasn't, wasn't tight with at all. So you actually started planning this like within six to eight weeks after TBT 2014 ended. About less than that, about 24 hours after TBT 2014 ended. <laughs> no I, yeah, kind of the same thing for next year with, uh, with this year. Um, you know, I, I contacted Hakeem really right after the Notre Dame championship game um, and said, you know, I just watched the game. You know, yeah. uh, I don't know if you did, but I know you played. Um, and that's kind of my experience. It takes, if you want to put a good team together, you know, it, kind of, it starts early. It has to start early because I think you saw some of the other teams who maybe try to sign up late and they just couldn't get the seven players or their hundred votes or whatever they needed to do by the deadline. Um, it, it's more difficult than you, you would think um, to, to get all the requirements in place and get guys to really commit. And it is kind of hard to get guys co- to commit this far out, but also when you offer them a shot at a million dollars, people's schedules tend to open up. What's so. the reaction from the players on that angle of it where you say, Hey, if we win this thing, it's only six games. We win this thing. You could get a hundred thousand or whatever i mean what's what's their response to that yeah i think it's a great thing i mean um at first you know i think guys maybe are a little hesitant uh like you know what is what is this basketball tournament where you play for a million dollars but now you know tbt is really on everybody's radar and i it's was kind of easier um to get people interested and want to be involved in it you know right after the tournament ended i had um you know a really good syracuse player who didn't get to play this year call me up and said you know i'm in for next year 100 percent um, after, after he watched this play uh you'll find out when we do uh, really? you're seriously not going to disclose who it is uh well you know i i gotta make sure everybody's 100 percent before i put their name down but he did tell me that as long as he's alive he'll be playing next year so, so hopefully it sounds like it sounds like you're not only already planning for next year but you're planning to be a big part of it even with some of the other stuff you have going on in your life with the bar exam and all that kind of stuff yeah definitely i mean the tbt is a it's a special experience there's no way i would want to pass that up and uh, you know we really got such a great following from the central new york community and the syracuse fans this year that i think they would be disappointed if we didn't do it again that was something i was going to ask you too because you guys killed it with the votes. I mean, not only was it a super competitive team that I think barely lost to that City of Gods um, yeah. team that ended up making it to the um, semifinals, but you had a ton of support from Syracuse fans for Bayheim's Army. Right. I'm wondering what you did to kind of push that along at the beginning, if anything. 
Yeah, I mean, it was... It was one of those things where uh, I was kind of nervous signing up and I was like, are people going to care about this? You know, are people just going to kind of laugh this off and say, oh, it's just a bunch of washed up Syracuse players. Why would I care about this? Um, which they're obviously not. But uh, really from the, the get go, so many Syracuse fans were interested. I mean, we had uh, the local beat reporter down at Dakota did stories for us here in Syracuse. Um, for the post standard, the local paper. And she put the first one up, um, right when we registered our team. And I think within an hour we had a hundred votes. Um, and it was just awesome to kind of see this thing grow organically. I mean, we were active on uh, Twitter, a little bit on Facebook, but mostly on Twitter, getting the word out to fans and, we put in effort, but it, like I said, it grew organically. I mean, people were sharing it with each other. People it started to spread on different blogs. Syracuse fans were really excited to see these guys back together again. And, and it was a beautiful thing because on the reverse side, Syracuse players were really excited to, you know, former Syracuse players were really excited to put orange back on again and to kind of um, represent for these fans. Were you hearing from the guys at all about, this sort of idea that they're now, I mean, it's not the Syracuse University yeah. team, clearly. It's an alumni group. It's named mm -hmm. after the coach and stuff. But what that f sort of felt like to have the attention of those fans that for a lot of these guys were probably the most ardent supporters that they've ever had. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that, you know, this is kind of my opinion, not coming from any of their mouths, just kind of my observations. But I think when you're in college, sometimes everybody, you know, whether you're an athlete or a student, you can think it, it'll last forever. And I think that when you're, you know, going through four years at Syracuse and you've got 30,000 people cheering up, you know, cheering you on and wearing your jersey and stuff like that, it's a really special thing. But unfortunately, it has to end. And I think that when you go overseas and maybe you're playing in front of 100 people or 20 people, it's, it's not the same, uh, even though you're playing for money and you I think that there's nothing more special than playing for a purpose, playing for each other and playing for the fans. And I think that that's what these guys really loved about the tournament is that even though we didn't win the money, everyone was still really happy that we did it because they really felt the support from the fans um, and vice versa. You know, they were interacting with the fans and the fans appreciated it. It was just a really great, beautiful thing to, to see uh, play out. Yeah. And you all had like a, Sort of a, I don't know if it was a media day or something, but it was an event up there in Syracuse where the actual media came and talked to everybody and kind of talked about Bayheim's army and what. Yeah, so yeah, it was great that we were able to kind of get together for a few days and, and practice, but we wanted to make it. Um, you know, we wanted to do some things while we were here too, while everyone was in town. So we did an, uh, the team did an autograph signing over at the mall and had a good turnout with fans for that. Um, there's actually a YouTube video of that up on my uh, YouTube page. And then the, the guys also did a, um, an event at the local boys and girls club here, uh, which was really special. Uh, you know, they realize um, what this community means to them. And also, you know, there's a lot of, um, poverty in Syracuse and just to go, kind of go out and meet some of these kids and send a good message to them was something that not, not something I came up with, something that they wanted to do. I mean, this was something that was Eric Devendorf's idea. He, and he kind of set it up and I just helped facilitate, but this was, you know, people have different opinions of him, but this is, a, he's a great guy. And, uh, that was all him. Yeah. He's a, he's an interesting guy. Cause I think the perception of him on the court, is pretty much like a 180 from the way he is off the court, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is with him? 
I just think that he loves this game so much and he puts so much into it. I mean, he just spent, like I, like I said, the entire last year working out, not even playing in a game, basically getting ready for stuff like the tournament. And, um, when you're playing for a million dollars, I mean, if you're not being competitive and not putting your heart out there, I think that you shouldn't be out there. Um, and he was really the heart of our team, a leader, somebody everybody looked to and was, absolute an absolute pleasure to have this year in terms of the organization sort of i mean i don't know if it's necessarily called like public relation relations in terms of what you were doing but just alerting the media in terms of what was going on i remember listening to you on the radio uh once or twice and obviously the syracuse.com had sent uh donna detota to cover the event for Bayheim army were those things that you were doing to outreach to people to try to get them interested in in what was going on here yeah originally that's a little bit uh, was what I'll say because originally I was originally I was trying to get it on people's radars, um, the local radio, newspaper, blogs, and stuff like that. But then as it started to pick up steam, we got closer to the tournament. We won that really great game against uh, the LaSalle alumni team, and there was ejections and stuff like that. Then I, you know, then I didn't have to do anything. At that point, I was almost turning down some media requests because of you know how great people saw this thing was going. Um, they wanted to get it on their, their, um, websites or radio, whatever it was. And it was very cool to see how quickly, um, Bayheim's army grew from just an idea to, you know, an established team and a, and a force in the tournament. Do you feel like that was unexpected or did you have an idea that if things go right, that could happen? No, I definitely hoped that it would happen. I think deep down I knew it would happen really because of how passionate these fans are. I mean, like I said, there's not any pro teams around here. Um, and there's a big gap between the basketball season and the basketball season. Everyone, you know, everyone loves the basketball team because of how good they are and it gives them something to do. But more importantly, I think there's a special element of it because it gives people something to do when it's negative 20 degrees out. And I think people really fall in love with Syracuse basketball because of that. Um, so I, I think deep down, I knew that this would be a hit. Um, and, and it was. How did Lawrence Moten come to be involved? Lawrence Moten was actually, you know, as you know, the all-time Big East leading scorer uh, back in the 90s here at Syracuse, still is the all-time leading scorer in the Big East and at Syracuse. And that's something, you know, because the tournament was growing and getting more popularity, because our team was getting more um, attention and popularity, he contacted me and said, you know, I would like to be involved. Um, And I said, Lawrence, I don't know. If you're quick enough to keep up with some of those guys out there, you know, you, you haven't played in a few years. This wasn't his game though. It was the, yeah, it never was. You're right. Never was. But, um, so we kind of compromised and I said, you know, why don't we kind of bring you on as a player coach? And he thought that was a great idea. I mean, he has coaching experience. He coached the Rochester Razor Sharks for a couple seasons, a pro team, a semi pro team up in Rochester. Um, and obviously knows the game very well. And obviously he can still play a little bit because he scored a couple points in the tournament. Fade away in that game. Yes. I, mean, I have to say, for people my age that kind of grew up as Big East fans, seeing Lawrence Moten with those high socks and wearing orange and blue again was just unbelievable to see. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it had the, we were up by however many, you know, 15 or something in that first game, kind of in, in, but in control. And he came in and the whole place got on their feet. I mean, it was, cool for me to see because I was born in 91 so I didn't you know grow up seeing him play um but obviously so many people did and so many people remember him and love him still 
Uh, that was that was a special moment. How aware was Jim Beheim of the team, and did you have any conversations with him at all? Because clearly, you used his name on the on the team name, which I'm sure he gave yeah. his blessing for. And I'm just curious about that um, relationship as well. Yeah, so you know, we were trying to think of something different that wasn't just Syracuse alumni or something like that, and we figured, why not support Coach Beheim, who without him, none of this would be possible. None of these guys would have played at Syracuse, have known each other or had the success in their collegiate and professional careers that they did really. So why not kind of pay homage to him? Um, so we went to, I went to coach and his wife with the idea, Julie, and uh, they were big supporters of it from the beginning. I mean, they weren't really, they, they let us use the name, but they were really just more happy that all these guys were getting back together. And I, all these kids are, you know, almost sons to him, all these guys. And I think it was really special for him to see how much they care about each other, how much they care about him and the program. Um, so he had no problem. You know, he was happy for us to kind of go with the Bahamas Army name. I know the guys liked it. The fans liked it. The jerseys came out great. And yeah, it was uh, a hot seller because we weren't yeah. even planning oh, yeah. on making any of those. And it was such an overwhelming demand on social media for those jerseys. I think we made 200 and they sold out within five or six hours. Yes. And I know that multiple people have said, please direct message this uh, image right over to the new AD and use them as the Syracuse, you know, the SU jerseys. Uh, that's how that's how awesome they looked. And I know I, I got one and I've got it hanging up in my apartment. Have you uh, seen anybody wearing them around campus at all? I, I've seen, I think I saw, I'm trying to, yeah, I saw one at a, a football game earlier in the year. I'm hoping I see some t-shirts and the, and the jerseys at some basketball games. There were a bunch of people actually who got the jerseys. Well, not a bunch of people. I think there were maybe two people who got the jerseys and multiple people with the shirts who got them that day when we had the autograph signing in Syracuse and brought them and got the whole team to sign. So oh, those are pretty awesome. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, there's a charity component to what you've done too. With right. Times Army, right. That was, How did that come about? Yeah, so Coach Beheim, you know, said, yeah, obviously I'm, we'll let you guys kind of use the name. I'm excited to be a part of it, however I can help. Um, and that was without us saying, we want to kind of give back to your foundation. You know, he runs with his wife a foundation here in Syracuse, the Jim and Julie Beheim Foundation, that helps the youth of the area um, of central New York. And, you know, if we won the money, the, the million dollars, we wanted to give a big chunk of that back to them. Um to, to thank coach, but also to help the community. Um, you know, we weren't able to, to win the million, but the money that we made, um, the, you know, we got a portion of the sales of the jerseys and the t-shirts, as you know, and that's going to go straight to the Bayheim foundation. So obviously it sounds like you've heard from some of the players that maybe didn't play for the team. Have you talked to the guys that did play about next year already, or are you having any conversations with players at this stage? And I guess we're early October. Yeah. I think that, you know, Really, like I said, right after we lost, people were upset, but it couldn't be too upset because it was such a unique, special experience. The guys loved getting together again, loved playing for the fans, loved putting on the orange that I don't think they could picture themselves not doing this next year. Um, and it, it's a, it's an awesome thing. All right. I know you got to get to class, so I'll let you go. But Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Any, uh, any other big revelations or anything you want to reveal about Bayheim's Army for 2016? Uh, just that we're going to win the championship. Besides that, no, nothing, nothing right now. But I'll keep. Got to go with every every tournament, I guess. Right. Exactly. All right, Kevin. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Jesse. Hey. Hey. What's up? What's going on? Nothing. So you've been on the recruiting trail. 
It's been on the trail. Literally flying all over the country to try to meet people. It's been a tumultuous trip. Really? What, where, do, where are you coming back from? Just got back from uh, LA, Laguna, and San Diego. What were you doing out there? I was meeting with uh, potential GMs for TBT 2016, uh, meeting with SIDs, managers, video coordinators, you name it. Everybody and anybody from college and universities to ABA and minor league teams. So what are some of the prospects? Actually, why don't we talk about the West? Uh, What's some of the prospects out there? What's it looking like? The West had a good showing last year, um, obviously with, you know, Grantland and Scalabrini and Bonner and those guys and Jay Will. Um, We're looking at, you know, potentially a few more of those teams coming in next year. Um, We'd like to build up the alumni teams as well and kind of have a a strong showing like Philly did with, you know, LaSalle and Temple and, and Cuse out there. Um, hopefully working at a UCLA and a UCS team as well. Any leads at those places? Uh, it looks like Arizona right now um, has a strong lead. They obviously had a number of former alumni play last year on various teams from Hassan Adams to Nick Wise and uh, Mark Lyons as well. So um, be great if we can get all those guys back on one team together. Well, Cal Fogg went to Arizona too, though, right? He did. What do you and think the chances are he jumps from like the winning team last year to an Arizona team? That's true. We'll, uh, we'll have to see if they, uh, if they have a good foundation in place and they can make a, a strong case for him to, to lure away from that million-dollar championship team. So a lot of the recruiting that you've been kind of focusing on is on these alumni teams. I mean, do you think that the alumni teams are still looking at this as an opportunity for them to not only play but win? I do. You look at Notre Dame winning the inaugural TBT in 2014, um, and you see the strong showing that Syracuse had last year, um, as well as Colorado and you know Dunk City and Temple and some of these other notable teams. I think that's kind of the recipe for success with you know the team chemistry and the same system in place. These guys want to play together. Colorado, man, they got a tough matchup with Team 23. I mean, I f- I'm they honestly did. like, I who knew that Team 23 was going to be that good, you know? But that's a great program, and Bo did, Gamble did an awesome job. Yeah, they run into a into a buzzsaw with Davin White, but um, Colorado has a has a strong chance to to come back next year even and better and stronger. Do you think? Um, that- and I hear they could have you know some potential in state rivals um, with Colorado State in the rumblings of uh, creating a team as well. Really? Tell me about the Colorado State. What's the story with that? Um, if you remember, they were the team in the NCAA tourney in 2013 that upset. Uh, I'm sorry, upset Missouri in the round of 32. Um, so they have, you know, some guys that they can get back together and maybe even challenge Colorado. Little you've, been rivalry. In, you've been in touch with the people from Colorado State? I have. Which kind like, who, don't say any names, but who are we talking okay. about? Are they like uh, players? Just, just the, the SID loved the idea. I mean, completely loved it. I mean, I told them Colorado played and, um, told them obviously about Dunk City and some of these other Cinderella's and he said they have to have a team. That'd be awesome. What about some of the West Coast conference teams like BYU? Gonzaga, yeah, St. Mary's. St. Mary's. We had a great conversation with uh, probably one of the most notable, notable alumni of, of St. Mary's in the past, um, Mickey McConnell. And uh, did you want me to drop his name? That's right. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I don't care. Okay. Uh, <laughs> is this being recorded? Or are we just? Yeah, no, we're recording this. Oh, are we? Okay. Yeah. Um, I wish you guys could see the visual of this because Jesse's just sitting there in his recliner, <laughs> talking into his headphone, playing on his phone. Uh, so Mickey McConnell um, actually was watching the championship game with a bunch of his guys, um, like St. Mary's guys. St. Mary's guys. Um, I don't. I don't know how many were actually in the room, but you know, it'd be kind of cool if we can get Patty Mills and all these St. Mary's guys back together 
um, you know, they'd make a strong, a strong team, whether they're looking at a St. Mary's team or a WCC team. Um, you know, they, they'd definitely be a team to watch out for next year. Wait, Patty, I didn't I guess I didn't realize this. Patty Mills from the Spurs went to St. Mary's. He did. He was one of their stars. Um, Tough and to get. My, I mean, if he's under contract though, we'd have a hard time, maybe a hard so time. Who knows? The kid, so this kid that I actually went out to see long story short, um, his brother actually played at St. Mary's, um, with Patty Mills on that team. Um, and he was actually a, a video coordinator under Cal at Kentucky. So a lot of, a lot of ties kind of to St. Mary's and various other places. Are you finding like when you talk to guys about TBT at this point, are you finding that they know what it is? Like, do you have to explain it? No, they, they know what it is. I mean, I, I think there's still a learning curve of, you know, trying to get their head around you know, the free entry and, and all that. But, um, the actual infrastructure is in place where they understand the concept as a whole. I think what's hard, what's hard to understand about free entry. They don't get that. Nobody understands free. I mean, I I think obviously, you know, in the first year when I was pitching, it was a lot harder because we didn't have any product or anything to display. Um, so they didn't know if this was a scam or if this was real, but you know, now that we've proven the concept the last two years, I would say, you know, three out of four SIDs that I call or speak to now. About so, TBT. so the the prospect, I mean, the problem rather is like explain to them this is how you get in, this is how you get fans, like that kind of thing. Sure, exactly. Do these guys all understand that they got to get, you know, like somebody to help them get the votes or get the word out? Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the GM is you know the most essential position on the team besides the actual players. Um, but having that infrastructure in place and having a GM that can take the initiative and is well respected. Uh, throughout the the program is is essential, and you know that's that's kind of the biggest recruiting tool that we can use to to SIDs and these former guys. You know, even if they're players and they don't want to be the GM, they have somebody in mind that's a former walk on, a former manager, someone that can can take the reins and run with it. You know, if you look at a Kieran or Kevin Belby from Cuse, so those guys are perfect examples. All right, so Jesse, that's the West. We're, next time we talk, we're going to talk about the South, and we'll go through some of the conversations you've had with some teams down there because I found that to be really interesting. Sure. All right, keep up the good work, Jesse. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks.